hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator. Welcome back to the next episode of the BC Law Just Law Podcast. I'm Tom Blakely. I'm here with Jim Fiore. We're joined by Professor Broden and Professor Yen. Uh, very fortunate to have them with us today to discuss some uh, litigation that's been in the news. It's uh, former Miami Dolphins head coach Brian Flores' lawsuit against the NFL and a couple of NFL clubs uh, claiming uh, discrimination on the basis of his race, claiming that he was uh, offered money to the tune of $100,000 to lose games uh, as a head coach to improve the Dolphins draft prospects. And it's really ignited a firestorm uh, across the league. The NFL recently hired hiring former U.S. Attorney General Loretta Lynch to defend itself, uh, meeting with civil rights leaders. And uh, there, there's been a lot in the news about this. And so we wanted to talk uh, with a couple of professors who uh, know a thing or two about the topic. We're going to be talking to Professor Broden primarily about uh, the civil procedure and employment discrimination angles of the case. And we're talking to Professor Yen about the sports law uh, aspects of this. And uh, we thank you both for joining us. Professors, how are you today? Fine. Thank you for the invitation. Doing very well. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, well, I guess, Professor Yen, we'll start with you. Could you just like set the scene for us with you know this case and kind of how we got here and just the environment of of the league? It seems like a lot of people are shelling out a lot of money for a lot of lawyers about this. Kind of what's going on here? Well, first, the NFL has employed lawyers in the past and will in the future, no doubt lawyers um, who are expensive. Um, I think the background of this is the difficulty that the NFL has had in promoting people of color into head coaching and senior administrative positions throughout the league. Commissioner Goodell himself has said that the NFL's record in this is uh, not what he would like, I guess, to use a euphemism. Uh, And uh, Flores, as you suggested, was recently fired as the Miami coach, and he has not yet been able to find another position as a coach in the league. And I suspect that he, like a number of other African-American coaches kind of felt like it was time to draw some attention to this. And so he sued. Uh, so Professor Broden, uh, going to you. So this was filed uh, as, a, as, a, as a class action suit. And so we have some questions about, can you just explain what's involved in that? How do you get a class certified? Um, you know, in, in a business like the NFL, there's only 32 teams. There's only a, you know, a handful of uh, African-American head coaching candidates. Like what is involved in, you know, assuming, you know, you've kind of read the complaint and familiarized yourself with, What's going on here? What's the burden for, for for former coach Flores in terms of getting a class, demonstrating he was discriminated against? It seems like a, a pretty steep hill to climb. Well, it, it shouldn't be because when Federal Rule 23, the class action rule, was amended in 1966, the drafters made it very clear that employment discrimination, indeed any kind of civil rights cases, were the prime expectation that would be litigators class actions. That's unfortunately changed a little bit, particularly after uh, the Dukes Dukes v. Walmart case, which was written by Scalia. He made it somewhat more difficult to litigate a class action under Title VII. And we'll talk about Title VII in a minute. But this case really shouldn't be that much of a problem. Numerosity uh, has been raised as a possible obstacle, but the cases generally say if there are 40 or more class members, which there are here, not named class members, but 40 class members, and Flores purports to represent a large group, um, that shouldn't be a problem. The other concern, if I were the plaintiff's lawyers, Uh, would be commonality. 
because it's unclear from the complaint so far that the problems that each member of the class named and unnamed have are sufficiently common. That was what sank the Walmart class action. But that was a national class action involving tens of thousands of retail stores and hundreds of thousands of employees. Um, This one should be fairly easy, I think, to uh, certify as a class action. I think the complaint has some other problems with it um, that may make the class action part of it moot. But uh, I think in terms of numerosity, commonality, um, typicality of the claims by the named members as compared to the unnamed members, and certainly adequacy of representation. This seems to be a, uh, a law firm that specializes in, in this kind of uh, litigation. And, and following up on that, Professor Broden, going into more detail about the complaint, what does Flores and the class action want uh, as far as damages or, or you know, injunctive relief, and, and how, how are they going to prove that? Well, uh, two very good questions, Jim. Uh, first, what they want, uh, and this is underscored by a few interviews I've seen with Flores recently, uh, is change big, big change in in the league. Um, Of course, for Flores himself, he's looking for compensatory damages. He's looking for the difference between what he would have gotten had he not been terminated and uh, and the lost income for the time that he's out. But he seems sincerely concerned um, about the plantation dimension of the NFL. Um, Now, if I were the plaintiff's lawyer, I might not have used such a provocative term, but this is a very kind of um, unorthodox complaint to start with. I mean, for instance, it, it has the F word at the very first line in it. You don't see that in many complaints. Um, uh, so what does he need to prove to get that remedy, which is basically injunctive relief and compensatory damages? You're going to have to prove, and it's not easy to prove, that there was intentional discrimination going on. Um, and intentional in this sense means that um, it was done deliberately um, with an eye towards treating people of the protected class differently than people who are not in the protected class. If you credit the allegations, they're well on the way to proving that. But they've got some problems in terms of the statistics because their numerosity does play an important role. They're going to have to get a statistician if they don't have one already who's willing to testify that um, the uh, underrepresentation that's alleged in the complaint is um, statistically significant. And when you're talking about so few employers, um, sample size becomes a problem, as Fred knows better than I do, being a a mathematician. Um, uh, But uh, it's, it's an uphill battle. There's no question about it. And certainly in terms of resources. The NFL is going to throw everything at it. I had not heard that um, 
the former attorney general is now representing them. I find that somewhat ironic. Um, but it, it, it's, it's, it's not easy to prove these cases. Good. Um, Professor Yang, go back to you, and you can feel free to jump in on any of that. Um, so one of the measures that the league has you know, implemented historically to try to you know, at least do something about this is, of course, the Rooney Rule, uh, which has really become uh, yeah, come to the forefront of this case here. Basically, it's kind of gotten to a point where a lot of folks say, look, this is not achieving what we wanted to achieve. You've got you know, part of this complaint, one of the most damning elements of it is this uh, idea of sham interviews, this idea that, um, for instance, the Denver Broncos uh, held an interview with Brian Flores in which uh, he, he alleges they were you know, drunk and didn't take him seriously. Um, there's evidence of Bill Belichick's text messages to Flores sort of accidentally confirming prior to his interview that the job had already been given to somebody else. Can you talk a little bit about the just the Rooney rule and, and how the leagues tried to address, you know, what you pointed out was a, is a, you know, pretty pretty challenging issue here in terms of their history with uh, diversity and being able to hire, you know, coaches and other executives of, uh, of color. Well, the Rooney rule has its roots, as you suggest, in the NFL's poor record of advancing minorities into coaching positions. The rule states that for a head coaching position, every team must conduct at least one outside interview with a person of color for the job. Undoubtedly, the intention was that if owners interviewed qualified minority candidates, of which there are many, such as Mr. Flores, they would come to realize that these were excellent candidates for head coaching positions and that they would eventually hire lots of uh, African-Americans uh, and other minorities as head coaches. That hasn't really happened. The number has remained a bit low. Uh, there's obviously a belief among some people out there, certainly including Flores and others, that Rooney interviews are just for show because the league put no teeth behind the Rooney rule. All that a, uh, a team would have to do was interview a person of color. And then if they had no interest in that person, go on about business as usual. And I think that's what Flores believes is going on is that they're just window dressing now. Um, Professor uh, and uh, Jim, uh, feel free to jump in after this one. Uh, Professor Brown, I wanted to go uh, to sort of what we were talking about just there for a second. In terms of the defendants here, we've got, of course, the NFL. We've got the Miami Dolphins. We've got the New York Giants. We've also got um, the Denver Broncos who are discussed in the complaint here. And there's, uh, you know, separate conduct in terms of each of these organizations with the the Giants, the allegation is that the job was already given to someone else, uh, you know, through the evidence that's offered of, of Bill Belichick's text messages, basically congratulating the wrong person for for the job, basically trying to demonstrate there that, you know, this is, um, you know, was a, was a, was a sham interview. Uh, the same can be said for, for the Broncos, alleging that um, executives were not taking him seriously. They were you know, hung over. There's, there's some other allegations there. And of course, the Miami Dolphins, uh, you know, fired him after he had, you know, statistically and by a number of measures, coached them to a, you know, relatively decent level of performance, given how they have, uh, you know, performed historically, um, you know, over, over a number of years here. You know, they, the, the, the team, honestly, in terms of the Dolphins, is a team that, is, that has struggled and Coach Flores came in and had, you know, a good measure of success to the extent a lot of folks, um, you know, in the media and, and in football were really shocked that he, that he would be fired. It didn't really seem like this is, you know, something that had very much to do with merit. 
And then there's this other claim that, uh, you know, not necessarily related to race that, you know, it's quite explosive that the owner of the organization paid him to lose to improve their, the, the team's draft prospects. In other words, having a lower record to, to have a higher draft pick. And so all these things are in this complaint. Um, how do you sort of parse out, you know, what claims here, you know, if any have the highest likelihood of success, like what, what is the strategy perhaps and, and, and sort of putting this all on the table, um, which is just what are your thoughts on sort of the, the, the cadre of things that he's, he's alleging here against these organizations? Well, well, it's interesting, Tom, that you mentioned strategy, because the first thing I thought of when I read this complaint, particularly the first few pages, is that this was drafted not with an eye towards the litigation part of it. It was drafted with an eye towards media and public consumption. And my guess is, uh, having gone on the website of the law firm that's representing Flores, um, uh, it's a pretty pretty flashy uh, website. My guess is that the expectation, and this isn't um, unusual, but my guess is the expectation is that this will be resolved short of a trial. And if I were the NFL, hopefully short of discovery, because I would think that they would not welcome uh, any discovery into any of these matters, including, the, uh, you know, throw the game and I'll give you a hundred thousand bucks, um, uh, uh, which I think must be in violation of some law. Um, so the answer to your question, Tom, is what would the strategy be if it actually was anticipated that it would go through a typical litigation process, motion practice, discovery, um, there Flores's lawyers are going to have to very, very solidly build a statistical case because these class-wide systemic disparate treatment cases um, are proven or not on the basis of statistical inferences from underrepresentation over long periods of time. This is a kind of classic pyramid situation where everybody at the bottom of the pyramid, the players, and it's kind of ironic because they're not paid modestly in any way, shape, or form, but everybody at the bottom, or 70%, are people of color. And as you go up the pyramid, it thins out considerably and becomes virtually nothing at the top. The typical way you prove that kind of uh, systemic case is to compare the labor market from which the top of the pyramid is drawn against um, the actual numbers of minorities. And if you do that, just on the sheer numbers here, it's a pretty compelling case of underrepresentation getting a statistician to testify that it's statistically significant given the small numbers, different different story. Um, but there are some kind of red flags in, in this complaint that make me wonder, again, about whether this is just a shot at a, at a settlement. Um, for example, you really can't file a Title VII case until you've been to the EEOC and exhausted that remedy. This is the first time I've ever seen a federal district court complaint that says we'll file with the EEOC when we're ready to file with the EEOC. You, technically, you need a right to sue letter from the EEOC. I mean, the long and the short of it, together with the fact that 
Plessy v. Ferguson is grotesquely miscited in this case. Um, for the proposition uh, in the complaint, it's cited for the proposition uh, that uh, segregated public facilities are unlawful. Well, I think we learned in the seventh grade that Plessy stood for quite the opposite proposition and was overturned by Brown v. Board of Education. So even though it looks like this law firm has been to this rodeo before, I just have some red flags about it. But the long and the short of it is, if it really is um, intended to go the full distance, uh, the plaintiff's going to have some difficulties of proof. They're all surmountable, but they're all difficulties. Can I jump in here for just a moment on on some aspects of of what you mentioned, Tom? Uh, When you mention problems of proof, I think that some of the things you mentioned suggest exactly how difficult things could be for Flores. It's one thing to say, well, it looks bad when Belichick sends you a text that Dayball's going to get the job. I mean, uh, Brian Dayball, who has since been named the head coach of the Giants, uh, in advance of Flores' Uh, interview with the Giants. But the Giants' excuse is Mr. Belichick was mistaken. He, he doesn't, right? And how are you going to prove whether Belichick had it right or wrong? That's going to be some artful discovery needed. Again, I believe that the al- allegations about the Broncos where they came in hungover and late, but that doesn't mean they did it for any other reasons than they're just buffoons, right? Right. There's the buffoon excuse here, not the discriminatory excuse. Uh, and, and so I think those are these are right. It, it it to me matches up with Professor Broden's observation that this lawsuit is not intended to win a lawsuit. It's in it's a piece of theater in the maneuvering to get the NFL to voluntarily change what it does. And and even the timing of the lawsuit suggests this. I'm going to do it right before the Super Bowl. So on your most high publicity time of the year. I'm going to take away some of the luster from what you're up to, uh, to make you folks talk about with the media, something that you desperately would prefer not to talk about. If, if I could just, sorry, I didn't mean to jump again. Um, just one quick follow up on that. And then um, J- J- Jim will go, can, can you just talk a little bit for, about for those who are not familiar with the NFL and maybe not as familiar with sports, you know, just the idea of the good old boys club in the NFL, you know, nepotism in, in, in the culture in that league. I mean, you have Obviously, you know, and unfortunately, there's employment discrimination all over the place. But within the context of the NFL, you know, just the the, the tight knit network of, of owners, you know, what what people call, you know, the the, the old boys club. How I, I guess strong is that element in, in in dynamic in terms of all this? Because this is not, I think, like many other industries where you don't you don't deal with that. But but what is that environment like in terms of these owners and their common interests and you know the, the way the way they could react to things like this? Well, critics of the NFL would point out that the ownership of the NFL is overwhelmingly white, overwhelmingly male, uh, obviously overwhelmingly extremely extremely wealthy. And so that creates an insular environment where mostly white men who are very wealthy uh, can run the league however they see fit. And so to the extent that that social group does not include a number of people of color, there's the risk of an old boys club that takes care of its own. And and that's the allegation that's being made about the hiring and promotion of people of color into senior senior levels of the league. I think that that's one aspect of it. 
One can also ask questions about what's the structure and uh, culture of the league itself or the league offices itself, right? That, that could be separate from the owners. That could also be a subject. You know, I don't think that the NFL league itself, the NFL's offices in New York, are unusually known for their diversity and inclusion. So, um, yeah, you know, obviously what Flores is trying to do is to change this. Yeah. And you've both mentioned many hurdles that this case is going to face in, in order to get to trial. I just want to talk about one more where it's often it's 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 common for these coaches contracts with the teams to have arbitration clauses where, you know, if, if a problem comes up, they're not they, they don't want to sue or the NFL doesn't want them to sue. They want to go to a, you know, a private arbiter. Um, is that or Professor Broden, is that or is the court going to look at that like a, a form selection clause, a contract of adhesion? Is that just going to be another hurdle for the for the case? Well, I wish that were the case, Jim. Uh, and I'm going to defer to Fred on the mechanics of arbitration and these kinds of contracts. But the Supreme Court over the years, uh, beginning with some decisions by Scalia, have been extremely friendly to mandatory arbitration clauses. Many of us think way too friendly. Congress has, at times, recently said it would do something about it. I doubt that it will. Um, but what's happening, and I talked to my class about this, is the push towards private ordering. Um, the American judicial system was at one time the envy of the world because you could go into a, an American court and seek to resolve almost any kind of a dispute. Um, corporate America caught on to the fact that they weren't doing so well in the courts at a particular point in time. And they now impose upon consumers, credit card users, employees, including football players, these mandatory arbitration clauses. And arbitration um, is a real uh, um, step down from litigation. Look, the parties get to choose their judge. It's usually the uh, employer party that has more say in that. Um, so uh, one other question I wanted to ask here is just something I was curious about that I did not hear and you know, the media coverage or you know, a lot of folks have been talking about this, like Professor Yen pointed out, you know, this comes right for the Super Bowl when you know, it seems like the, the, the eyes of the nation turn upon the league. Uh, one of the elements here that, that's somewhat interesting just procedurally is if you look at the dates in the lawsuit here, which I believe, and I don't have it in front of me, I believe it was filed like February 1st. This was, uh, you know, very recently, I think it was right there um, at the beginning of February. You know, some of the, the events, some of the evidence that's offered in the case, you know, the Belichick text messages, the day ball hiring took place um, January 27th, like towards the end of January. And so you've got just a, basically a few days there from when events uh, in the case are described to when the, 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 the suit was filed. And so obviously, you know, people can, um, you know, work expeditiously to, to, to try to bring suits. But th there is kind of a, you know, a question that I had here, just looking at the timeline, it sort of begs the question was, was this something Flores was preparing to file? Like, can you possibly prepare a suit like this in that short a period of time, like from 
you know, the, the, the 27th when you, you, you know, you, you feel like you just got screwed out of the New York Giants job to decide, okay, I want to file a class action suit to find a lawyer to write the suit to file a thing? Or do you think this thing was coming for some time? I mean, I know the uh, Dolphins firing towards the beginning of January was really kind of suspicious for a lot of folks. You kind of thought, well, how did he get fired? I thought they were doing pretty well. I mean, do you, do you think, you know, I guess it's maybe a little bit impossible for us to know, at least at this point. Would you say that Flores was, was sort of preparing to do this from the time he was fired from the Dolphins? Or is it plausible that, you know, towards the end of January when, you know, the, he, he was um, – you know, kind of rubbed the wrong way by what happened with the Giants decided to sue then. Is it possible to prepare a complaint like this in just a few days? Or what do you think kind of happened behind the scenes for, for Flores here as things played out? It's certainly possible to prepare a complaint that quickly. Uh, I mean, it's pure speculation on any of our part to know when he decided he was going to sue. Since we have some license to speculate, I would imagine that he was obviously angry when he was fired because he felt it was not justified and he might have wondered if this was because he was um, uh, a person of color. My guess is that if Flores thought he was likely to be rehired as a coach fairly quickly, whether by the Giants or the uh, Houston Texans or whatever, then the suit wouldn't have been brought. And it, it makes some sense to me that when he realized that his interviewing was a futile gesture and that in his mind, he was the victim of discrimination that prodded him to go forward. It, that story makes some sense to me, but obviously I don't know if that's what happened. I would like to think, um, but all I can do is think and speculate. I would like to think that there are forces within the NFL who have been on this problem for years uh, recognizing, you know, going back to Jackie Robinson and Pumpsy Green, that sports have generally, professional sports have generally been extremely exclusionary. Um, and so this was probably under consideration by either Flores or others um, well before this. But as you say, Tom, I mean, this... Uh, the opportunity to file the case on the first day of Black History Month um, after that um, apparently sham interview, uh, that was probably too much to resist. Um, so I got just two final questions here. One of them, um, and, and I guess they're you know, for, 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 for both of you here. Um, so Professor Yen noted a little while ago, and I, Professor Brody, you know, you talked about it as well. You know, the idea that in terms of the litigation, in terms of you know the, the the pleading standard here for for what we're talking about in this case. You know, there's there's some pretty precarious challenges for Mr. Flores, but at the same time, given the allegations that are here, the way that this interfaces with the media, and you know, longstanding you know feelings and quite frankly facts regarding the NFL's record, um, you know, with with respect to hiring and retaining and you know promoting um, you know minority candidates for these positions. You know, there, there's a strong element of you know I, I don't want to call it theater, but obviously, you know, there, there's the court of law and the court of public opinion. And while the NFL, you know, could, you know, probably possibly win in, in, in one of those, it's undoubtable, undoubtable that in the court of public opinion, there's a lot of attention now as there was before, but particularly so now on what is going on with the hiring of these candidates. So I just wanted to ask about looking at the league's response here. A lot of commentators have looked at the fact that the way the league is responding to this, because the league gets 
deals with litigation and uh, you know the courts and and all sorts of issues all the time. But in this particular case, on the day on February first when the suit was filed, the NFL within a few hours releases a statement basically saying there's you know strong statement. You know, there's basically there's there's nothing to see here. A lot of times the league and teams and just public organizations like this generally will say. Oh, well, you know, we can't comment on active litigation. We plan to, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, in this case, within a few hours, which I, I don't think anyone would would disagree is an insufficient amount of time to actually determine whether or not there's anything to see here, whether or not there's, uh, you know, a factual basis behind these things. Then you have them hiring the former attorney general, uh, meeting with the, the commissioner and some owners, meeting with civil rights leaders yesterday. This is a very aggressive response um, by the league to what's going on here. And I'm just curious, is it a matter of... Um, politics trying to appear like you're you're ahead of the issues is it a matter of actually trying to to bring about some change like it seems like this response by the league being as 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 strong as it is and perhaps as strategic as it is um this there's something going on uh, on park avenue within the organization i'm just curious from a legal standpoint just from an organization standpoint what do you think the the mindset could be with respect to the allegations here perhaps trying to actually do something or maybe just appear like you're doing something what what would you say about how the, the, the way the league responded to this I think the league is doing what the NFL always does, which is protect the shield, which to me is protect the image of the league. Um, The accusations that Flores is bringing are among the most damaging allegations one can make about the league. First of all, the league is suggesting not only that it is um, corrupt in the sense that it employs unfair employment practices with respect to qualified African-American candidates, but in fact that the league is corrupt to its core, that the league does not even offer fair games. Right? So right, Flores' initial opening salvo is the NFL is rotten all the way to the games it conducts. And not surprisingly, the NFL is going to respond forcefully to that. Right? They want to say, First of all, the games are absolutely on the up and up. We're honest athletic sports providers, and we certainly don't discriminate on the basis of race. That's wrong. So I think that a lot of what you see is going to be maneuvering in the court of public opinion. Now, the other thing that I think is really interesting to wonder about is that I think we would be mistaken to think that the court of public opinion, in fact, renders a singular verdict on this. Uh, There are absolutely a chunk of NFL fans and maybe a lot of media that cover the NFL that are willing to criticize the NFL for uh, its inappropriate employment practices. But there are going to be others who view this as simply, you know, Flores playing the race card when, in fact, he wasn't a good enough coach to keep his job. Uh, Again, I'm not saying that that's a correct conclusion to reach about Flores' lawsuit, but there will be people who don't necessarily think the NFL owes him any apologies. In terms of actual solutions here, you know, we know as, as we've discussed, you know, sort of the good old boys club of the NFL. There's a substantial problem that we haven't discussed uh, yet with respect to nepotism and with respect to the fact that you, know, you have owners, kids, and coaches, kids that you know a lot of these jobs are already spoken for um, by the time they come available. There, there's a lot of you know dynamics that are at play here that lead to this problem and then uh, unfortunately there's often racism um you know with respect to this we talked about the Rooney rule um but what you know real solutions could there possibly be it's really hard to imagine some uh you know litigation or something that a court could do to act, you know besides provide money damages to 
you know, potential uh, members of, of the class that, that Coach Flores uh, alleges here. Um, what solutions are really on the table for, for this problem? Well, I think that's the key question. And one of the things that struck me as I read the request for remedy was this is way beyond the scope of what a federal district judge could do on his or her own, um, basically restructure uh, an athletic league. Um, Even if it got to the point of remedy, the judge would almost certainly have to appoint a special master, probably several special masters. This is an enormous undertaking with enormous, enormous obstacles, because how do you, as a, as a federal court remedy, um, uh, try to restructure something like this? I mean, the usual remedies in these systemic disparate treatment cases are much more modest. There'll be a prospective injunction, thou shall not discriminate anymore. Um, there'll be some modest back pay. Uh, ironically, the People who walk out of the court with the biggest bag of money are the lawyers in these class action cases. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that, um, but uh, this is an unwieldy request for for relief. Uh, and again, when I saw Flores interviewed and he said he's all about change, I, I take that as sincere, but I'm not sure that his lawyers have sat him down and had a frank discussion with him on what he can actually realistically expect by way of remedy, even if he surmounts the hurdles of proving liability. Let me offer a slightly different perspective here. I'm in complete agreement with Professor Broden that legal remedy for the court is going to be difficult for Flores to get satisfaction through. It isn't apparent to me that that's the way this this is going to work out. My observation of the NFL is It will change when it is in the economic self-interest of the NFL to change. And that one can view this lawsuit as an attempt to bring economic pressure on the NFL. So as a point of reference, one might look at the litigation and the fuss that was brought over the former Washington football team's previous name, which was racially offensive. And for years, despite litigation, you know, to strip the trademark of its registration and whatnot, the Washington football team held out until one of its major sponsors, FedEx, said, well, actually, we may not want our name on your field anymore. We may want out of the deal. And at that point, hey, they caved and they were the Washington football team now to be the Washington commanders. It is an interesting question whether American Express or Mercedes or any of the other high profile uh, companies that sponsor or might sponsor the NFL want to be associated with a league where the public thinks that the league largely engages in discriminatory hiring, right? Because they all have diversity and inclusion programs where they say as companies, that's not what we stand for. If those sponsors said to the league, either we're going to drop sponsorship or, hey, you better change or we'll do something to embarrass you, then I think the NFL might say, well, all right, we got to do something. And that's probably the most realistic way pressure will be brought to bear. Very good. Very interesting uh, discussion on this case today. And it's obviously going to be interesting not only in the court of law, but in the court of public opinion. What happens going forward with the NFL, uh, with Coach Flores, its record on uh, hiring uh, 
racially diverse candidates and uh, what happens for the league going forward here. Uh, professors, thank you both for uh, coming on today, both Professor Broden and Professor Yen. Uh, it's been uh, Tom Blakely and Jim Fiore on uh, the BC Law Just Law podcast. Very great discussion we're able to have today. And until next time, we will uh, see you then. Thank you. Thanks.